greater than me because that I could never be. A humble servant broken down and beaten with severity, wiped away the severance so all could walk with clarity. So really what's been scaring me? Is it Jesus that I really want? So here I am again to pray. You know the words I wanna say. Is my picture perfect, posture pleasing? I sit with tears and questions, pleading a wounded heart that groans from shame. Will the Father answer or push away? Oh, you've already made that start. You say that this is that change of heart. It started with a plea. So now you take a seed and you grow it into a tree. It won't be perfect because I am not he. The one we all reject be in my heart. So here I am again. Where do I start? It is Jesus that I want. Hey, man, how we doing? Good morning. Way to wake up. Proud of you. It was an early start today, y'all. I know you feel that, uh, but I think uh, God's got something good in store for us. Either way, my name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Big welcome to you. Hey, let's give a shout out to all of our other campuses uh, who are participating with us today. Uh, we started this new series last week. It's called Rock Your World. All right. Now, have you ever heard that phrase used before? Somebody says to you something like, hey, this, this book, you've got to read it. It's going to rock your world. You familiar with that stain? It was like, I think it was 13 years ago. Uh, my wife was sitting at the kitchen table. She came in and like slid, slid the stick across the table to me. And I, I picked it up and looked at it. She said, I got some news. It's going to rock your world. I'm pregnant. I thought two things. That's awesome. But why'd you put that on the table? Okay, I know where that's been. <laughs> Uh, a couple years ago, my, my entire family, we get really bad car sickness, all right, like really bad car sickness. And we'll go on trips back to Kentucky, where we're from, and on the way there, uh, inevitably, somebody's going to throw up, all right, happens every single time. A few years back, this lady came up to me, she's like, I got something that's going to rock your world. You take these essential oils, and you take them, you shake them, you put them in your belly button, and it's just, it's going to make you not get car sick. I was like, you're weird. Like, what on earth? But guess what? She was right. Like, we, when we get in the car, everyone's like, oil up, let's go, all right? <laughs> that rocks our world. And you've had those things happen in your life where something, somebody introduces you to something, something happens that like it changes things for you. You feel that? It means something's about to change, something's about to shift. Uh, things are changing in some kind of way. And we've been in this series talking about prayer uh, for a couple weeks now. And one of the things we've been saying is we want to learn how to pray in a way that will, in fact, rock our world. And we've been looking at the prayers of Jesus, and Jesus' prayers, they were, they were real, they were authentic, they were raw, they were desperate, they were honest. Prayers that aren't shallow, but instead carry with them a deepness that moves the very heart of God. Jesus showed us how to pray, and if we pray in the same way as he did, well, it changes us, it challenges us, and then that changes the world around us. I wonder, if I slowed down for a minute, maybe just to ask you what your prayer life is like. like what, what might you say? Would you say, yeah, it's bold, it's courageous, it's daring? Uh, like, I'm, trying, I'm praying for God to change me, I'm trying to move the heart of God, or would you say it's, it's maybe cautious or careful? Maybe you're just using God as a genie in a bottle to give you what you want, and you're just saying hey, lots of thank yous for that. Like, what's your prayer life like? I don't, for, we've got three little kids at home, uh, a 12-year-old, 9-year-old, and a 3-year-old, and we, we've tried to teach them how to pray mostly through model. Okay, so every single night, 
We get them all into bed, we sing a song, and we pray together. And for the longest time, Sarah and I would voice those prayers. We'd, we'd pray in a way that hopefully they would see that and they would start to mimic it, right? And we'd, we'd pray, hopefully prayers that they would see. They would start to wonder, like, why is mom and dad praying? That's pretty bold. It's pretty courageous. It's like, I'm not sure I want that, you know? And, and we just hope that's going to kind of soak into who they are. But uh, always, as they get a little bit older and they start to want to, to voice prayers themselves, uh, their prayers sound maybe a little bit different than what we had modeled. I think it's naturally kind of knit into us. Uh, Miles, my youngest, he just turned three, or he's about turned four, and he is starting to learn. He's got all the vocabulary now. He's starting to learn how to talk, and he's like, hey, now, can I pray? Can I be the one who prays now? And his prayers, well, they sound a little something like this. Okay, check it out. You've got two in our and our friends, and our feet, and mine, my leg, and from my ear, towards where you and for my clothes, and for mommy and daddy, and for Ola and mommy, and for Isaac, amen. Amen. There's my little Miles, okay? Like, he, he just starts praying, and it's, it's, it doesn't always get the thank you out. He just says, dear God, and for, and for toilets, like indoor plumbing. Let's go, you know? Like, he, he knows what matters in this world, and he always rounds all the bases, gets all the family in there. And I wonder if sometimes my prayers just kind of mimic that. Like, it's just a whole bunch of thank you for. And I have to remind myself that that's the prayer of a toddler, right? And as we grow and mature, Jesus invites us into a different place of faith and dependence on him. And our prayer life will just start to reflect that as we are growing spiritually, experiencing God in new ways and inviting God to shape us to look more like him. That's when our prayers move away from just thank yous to a place of challenge, to a place of inviting God to move us in ways. Gratitude is also a part of it, but so is change. Lord might change us. And we've been looking at these prayers of Jesus. What, what if I told you that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was praying some specific prayers that still apply to us today? Like, they still have implications on our life. It's pretty wild to think about. Culture, society shifted a little bit over 2,000 years. But all these years later, when you look at the prayers of Jesus, you see those, and you think, those still apply to us in this, cult, in this culture, in this climate, in this society. All right, let me show you what I'm talking about. If you were to talk just about the last three to five years in our society, and you had to kind of describe what the culture, climate, world has been like, what words might you choose, right? I asked some friends that this week. Here's some of the words they came up with. We'll throw a few of them up here. Challenging, right? The past three to five years have been challenging for anybody. Uh, there's been a lot of anger. I'm angry. Stressful. Fear. Tumultuous, which I was really proud because that's a big word. It's like, way to go, all right? But maybe this one more than any other is true. Divisive. Divisive. You can feel that, right? Like we live in a divided world. I often wonder if, uh, if an alien came down. And I know there's been stuff in the sky. We're not going there today, okay? Wherever you land on aliens, park it for a minute, all right? But an alien comes down to our world and starts to walk around, and we give him like a month, all right? Take, take three or four weeks, walk around, come back, hang out. We sit down and have a cup of coffee. Tell me what you think of us. Like, I can't help but think that that alien creature, whatever, you know, dialect they have, whatever language, they, they would eventually find the words to say, this is a divided people. This is a divided people. And think about it. Last several years, we've experienced more division than ever before. Between the pandemic, social justice issues, the economy, politics, division is on the rise. If you log into your socials, all right, get on the Facebook, hop on Twitter, TikTok, the gram. Is that what the kids say? No. I just got a thumbs down up here. It's great. Um, Instagram, all right? 
You're being fed algorithms that only push you further into a siloed way of thinking, making us more close-minded to people who may think differently than us, all the while being fed these bite-sized bits of content that only scratch the surface of major issues in our culture. And those bite-sized bits of content, they, they require that you either agree with them or they make you the enemy. Through uh, COVID, we had to kind of go back, stay at home, and, and silo it off from people who might think differently than we do. And on this side of COVID, I'm not sure that that stance, that posture of being pushing away from people who think differently than you, if that's not now celebrated. And th think about this, okay? Uh, anything that happens that's newsworthy across the entire world, it is delivered to you at your fingertips as it happens, along with one billion opinions telling you how you need to think about it, creating no space for any kind of dialogue, but just shouting truths that are somebody's truths, but not necessarily the truth at you. We are siloed, we are divided. Surrounding ourselves with people who think like we do while having little to no interaction with somebody who might be different than us. And the result is divisiveness. It's real. It's present. It's pressing in us. And it destroys relationships. It leads to increased tension, more hate, lack of trust. And it ultimately undermines the characteristics and values of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that are love and kindness and fellowship. Society is, is good at division. It seeks it. It wants it, makes money on it. But God's church is supposed to live a different way. And Jesus not only shows us a better way, he also prays for a better way. You see, Jesus saw what was coming, this mess that we're in. Like it's, he's no stranger to it. He knew it was coming, and he knew it would be messy. And he prayed a prayer that if we make it our own today, I really believe it can rock our world, and it can rock the world around us. We pray a prayer that we would mirror God's character and God's goodness in this world and carve some new avenues by which people can live this life. Not siloed or divided, but unified under the lordship of Jesus. Because divisiveness just silos you off, differences come between us, and that in no way represents the character of God. Now it just leads to fear and anger, not hope and love. And Jesus specifically prays against it because he knows that our unity, our unity is key to us and this world experiencing God's kingdom in its fullness. There's a prayer that Jesus offers. It's in John 17. It's the prayer we're going to look at today. Right before this, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's kind of giving them the lowdown on what's about to happen. All right, Jesus says, like, I'm about to go. I'm about to die. I'm going to resurrect. And eventually, I'm going to leave this place, and the mission of this church, like pushing the mission forward, is going to be handed over to you guys. And in this moment, Jesus, he, he can pray for anything, anything at all. He knows what's coming. He knows the pain he's about to suffer. And yet here is his prayer. Here's what he says. He says, now, now I'm departing from the world, but they are staying in this world. But I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. So one of Jesus' final prayers is that his disciples would stay united. It was for their unity. And Jesus, he was fully in sync with God, one in spirit, one in mind. He knew uh, the love that the Father had. He knew the mission that was to be revealed through his life. And he was going to give that mission over the disciples to push forward. And he's also aware of what's to come. The difficulty of a divided world. And so one of his last prayer requests before God is for unity, for oneness. And he continues and he says this, now, now I'm coming to you. 
I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they'd be filled with my joy. Like that, that word joy, go back one slide for me. That word joy, like that, that's an interesting word to describe the life that Jesus led. Right? His life, his entire being was about laying down his preferences for the good of somebody else, sacrificing what he wanted for somebody else. The first should be last, the last should be first. Like Jesus turned this world upside down. He said, that's where you find joy. That is where you find joy. And he continues in his prayer. And he says, I've given them your word. And the world hates them because they don't belong to this world, just as I don't belong to the world. And I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Don't miss how important that is. Jesus isn't saying, hey, these people don't think like them, so get them out of there. No, he doesn't say that. He says exactly the opposite. I'm not asking you this so you take them out of the world, but keep them safe from the evil one who wants to bring division amongst them. They don't belong to the world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm not taking my disciples and putting them over here in a bubble. No, I am sending them. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus sees these 12 guys who have been following him. He knows that he's about to depart. And the mission would be handed over to them. And he feels this need to slow down and to pray. Pray for their connectedness, their unity, their oneness. That they would stay unified. And I think sometimes, maybe without proper context, uh, we start to look at Jesus' disciples and we just think they're all like the same dudes, right? Like, yeah, of course. I mean, they all walk with Jesus. They're all the same. Like, just a bunch of little Christians before Christians were a thing, right? Like, they, they knew what they were doing. That's actually uh, not the case. It's very much the opposite. Like, Jesus' disciples, all of them, were very, very different. Maybe one example, you've got Matthew, okay? So one of the disciples that Jesus called to serve with him, to, to travel with him. Matthew was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. He was despised by the Jews because they would have thought any tax collector was greedy and in bed with the Roman government. And in the exact same group as you have Matthew, the tax collector, you have Simon. And Simon was described as a zealot part of the group seeking Jewish independence from, from Roman rule. And how did they do that? How did they, how did they seek their independence? They would incite rebellion, little acts of terrorism. So don't miss this. In Jesus' group, following him from town to town, you have Matthew, the tax collector for the Roman government, and you have Simon, the zealot, who was a terrorist against the Roman government. I mean, can you imagine what those fireside chats were like? Like, there was some tension there. I, I have this picture of, like, Jesus walking down a dirt road, and the disciples, you know, they're kind of following him, and Matthew and Simon are in the very, very back, and as they're walking, they're like, what's up, bro? And they kind of elbow each other and elbow each other, and they get little quarrels and fights, and Jesus has to turn around and be like, kids, stop it. Right? Like, Jesus' disciples were not all the same. You have two guys on opposite ends of the political spectrum walking alongside Jesus and growing in love and respect for each other because of their allegiance to Jesus and nothing else. Those guys did not belong together. Through their love for Christ, they turned from enemies into brothers. Because they found Jesus, they found unity. Now, I'm not talking about conformity. I'm talking about unity. Okay? Jesus is not trying to get all of his disciples to be exactly the same person, to think exactly alike on every single issue. He's not trying to make little carbon copies of the disciples. No, they're allowed to have their own opinions. He's fine with our differences as long as we can be unified around what matters most. And what matters most is a very, very short list about who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what he has now called us to do. He calls us to unity. 
Unity in that. We need to be unified around the love of Christ and create a little bit of room for everything else. Matthew and Simon, they're a great test case for that, aren't they? Jesus' followers, they weren't alike. They argued, they fought, they bickered. They, they argued about, like, which one Jesus liked the most. Like, my kids do that. Hey, Mom, Dad, which one do you like the most? I'm like, well, let me pick. Today, you, right? Jesus didn't do that. No, no, no. He, all of them would argue, who do you like? The, who's going to get to sit at your right hand, Jesus? Like, they, they thought different. They fought about stuff. They argued. They voted differently. These guys were way different. And it lets us know a really important fact, and that is the, the fact that unity in the midst of great diversity is going to be very tough. But unity in the midst of great diversity is also a beautiful reflection of what God's kingdom looks like. This very different group of guys found themselves in a community together because Jesus brought them together. They found mutual love and respect for each other. They didn't ex think exactly the same way, but they all realized that they are loved the same way. And that's what matters most. And so Jesus finds himself kneeling to pray one last prayer, thinking, God, I've done everything I can to get these guys in sync. And his final prayer, he prays for them. Mom and dad are about to leave home or the kid's going to behave. And Jesus knows the opposition, the enemy, wants nothing more than to divide. And a divided church is not a church that moves forward. It is a church that moves backwards. And so Jesus prays. He knows there's this beautiful vision of what the church can be. And the church and God's people can do good in the world and take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. If these guys can just stay in sync. If they can just stay unified. But he knows who he's got and he's got a cluster. And so he prays for them. For their unity. For their oneness. For their love for each other. But that's not the end of Jesus' prayer. I want you to hear, this is so important for us. Everyone, listen close. Did you know that as Jesus continued to pray 2,000 years ago, uh, he prayed for you? Let that sink in. You were on the mind of Jesus 2,000 years ago, so much that he slowed down to pray for you and for me. And here's his prayer as he continues. He prays for us. And he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, the ones who are walking with him, but also for all, all, all. If you walk with Jesus, if you have declared Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all includes you. Those of us in this room who aren't sure yet, one day when, when we come to, to faith in Christ, now you are included in that. I pray for all who will ever believe in me through their message. He continues and he says this. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Why is this so important? Here's what he says. They believe in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Why is our unity so important? Because it shows off Jesus. It shows off Jesus in a divided world. We need to stay united. Why, why is it so important that we, we reach across the aisle? Why is it so important that this church truly is a place for everyone with no qualifiers on the word everyone? Why is it so important that we follow Jesus' example of being a diverse community in every category, including thought, yet unified deeply in love for one another because of Jesus' love for us? 
Well, Jesus knows something that we often forget. He wants to use us. He wants to use us to help the entire world know who he is and what his love looks like. God's glory, his character, his kingdom, it is in every single one of us. And he wants, to sh- he wants us to share that with the rest of the world so that more may experience the life-changing relationship and power of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? What's the secret sauce? It's our unity. It's our oneness. It's our love for others, even those we don't always agree with, because it puts on display the same love that Jesus Christ has shown each and every single one of us. May they be in us. May they be unified so that the world will believe you sent me. In a divided world, there's something so compelling about unity in the midst of great diversity. Our ability to hang up our differences because what we have in common, and that's the love of Jesus Christ and the transformative work that he wants to do in this world. So we use this phrase around here all the time. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. It's a really important phrase for us. It's very, very simple. Okay, and here's what it says. Let's go to that next slide. It says this, in essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, and all things love. This is at the very heart of God. This is baked into scripture. I like these words so much, I think we're all going to say it together. All right? Like, this is our chance to have a unified voice as a church. Y'all ready? Warm up your voices. Me, 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 me. You guys in the back, we won't move on until you say it with us, all right? You ready? All together, one voice like you mean it, church. Here we go. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. That is at the heart of our God. And that was shown throughout Jesus' entire life. Why is it so important? Why is it one of Jesus' final prayers? Because when we can be unified around the essentials, that very short list about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's called us to do, and we can create space for those who don't look exactly like us or think exactly like us or have offended us in some way or think different than us on the non-essential issues, when we can best do that is when we can best embody and represent the love of God. And historically what we've seen is every time the church is unified, that is when the church grows. That's when people come to know Jesus. And what unity means, it it means that there will be people in this community who who think differently than you. It means that there will be people in this community who look differently than you. It means there will be people in this church community who you don't agree with on everything. But when we elevate Jesus to his rightful place as king of our life and heart, and we can see past our differences and instead see others as brothers and sisters and co-laborers, the world notices. Society tunes in. In a world so divided, people start to wonder, what is it about those people in that place that allows those people to like each other? It's the model that Jesus lived. It's the model that Jesus taught. And of all of the things that Jesus could have prayed for, his prayer was that we would be one so that the world may be one. Let that sink in. Our unity matters a lot. Jesus prayed like this because he knew Our oneness and unity would ultimately show the world the true love of God. That's why writers in the New Testament like Paul and Peter and Luke and John and Matthew, all of them plead for our unity. It's the secret sauce that really shows the world Jesus because of us living in the same way that Jesus lived. And Jesus gave us a commandment. Don't forget this. What are you called to do as a Christ follower? So I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. 
Love each other. I want you to notice what's missing here. There is no qualifier. There's no love each other if they agree with you on everything. Love each other if they look like you. Love each other if they're UK fans. No, you love everybody. Love each other even if they don't agree with you. Even if they might vote differently than you. Even if they posted that thing on Facebook. Even if they've offended you. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Why? Your love for one another will prove. Y'all lean in. Your love for one another, that is what will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When people see the way you love, is it proving who loves you? Is it proving that you love Jesus? Is it showing the world the goodness and the grace and the compassion of Jesus? Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's why the love of Jesus is so radical. It's why the love of Jesus is so scandalous. It's why the love of Jesus is so sweet. It's why the love of Jesus is so good and compelling. A few years back, I, uh, I went on a mission trip to India. And it was the first time I had experienced a place that far from home and a place culturally so different than what I'm used to. And on that mission trip, uh, it, I mean, it, was, it was a hard journey to get from central India out to Damo, which is where we were going to work with Central India Christian Mission. And uh, we land uh, in New Delhi, and then from there, it's like pr- planes, trains, and automobiles. And you, you might know this about India, you might not. There's a caste system, and like, people don't associate with people who aren't maybe in the same league as them. Uh, the society is very, very divided, and it's divided in a whole lot of ways. And we get there, and they just they roll the red carpet for us. They're so sweet to us. Our tour guide to get us from point A to point B, his name was Javan. Uh, And Javon was just a lovely dude. He was so excited to see us. He blessed us in so many ways. And we start on the journey to get from New Delhi to Damo. And on the way, it's like first we get in the car and we start driving down the streets of uh, New Delhi. And I got to tell you, like, hey, they have street lights there. But guess what? No one cares. (laughs) No one cares. And they've they've got those little stripes that divide the lanes. But guess what? No one cares. It was bonkers. I wanted to drive so bad, and they wouldn't let me. Uh, I was so excited about it. But it's like, we, we get on in the car, we get to the hotel, we sleep. He's like, we're getting up early tomorrow. we got to get to the train station. Guess what? The train does not wait for you, even if you have a ticket. It's not like when you get on Southwest, and they're like, hey, we're waiting for one more passenger. They will not wait. you got to be there on time. Get up. Be ready. We'll get to the train station. We'll get on. Next morning, we get there. Sun's still down. It's dark as can be. Uh, we get up on the platform. You can see the train there. We're like five, six minutes from needing to, to be on so the train can depart. And uh, standing between us and the door to get on the train, I mean, you guessed it already, what was there, right? It was a cow. Yeah, because that makes sense. Um, and I'm standing there. I'm like, hey, Siobhan, there's a problem. There, there's a cow in the way. I mean, it was like hugging the train. I guess the train was warm. The cow was cold. I don't know. Uh, but we could not get through, and he's like, well, let's, let's go. you got to move the cow, okay? But you can't, like, hit it or slap it because that cow is a god to certain people here. So treat it with respect, uh, but let's get it out of the way. And so we're over there kind of pulling on the cow, trying to get the cow to move. I'm looking at my watch like, this is not looking good. Come on, cow, get out of the way. And then Javon just kind of disappears. Okay, this is interesting, right? Like, I don't want to be stuck on this platform much longer. I want to get on that train and get where we're going. And Javon, I look around, and he's over in the corner. And he's over here on the, the corner of the platform, and he's talking to this guy. And it's like a heated conversation. His arms are big. And all of a sudden, I start to see him laugh, and he starts to cry. And they embrace each other. 
I'm like, that's beautiful, man, but I don't care. We got to go, right? So I go and I grab Javon. I bring him back. He puts his shoulder into the cow. We finally get out of the way. I kid you not, we got on that train right as it started to go. It's like, praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. Javon, what were you thinking? We sit down in our little cart. I'm like, Javon, like, that's cool, man. You saw your friend, but, but who is he? Like, what was that about that made it so important that we almost missed our train? You missed your train. There's not another one for a long time. He said, I actually don't know him. I just met him. But he had a Bible in his hand, and I, I couldn't help but go over and say hi to him because that must have meant that he was a Christian. And I went over. I was like, are you a Christian? He said, yes. He said, are you a Christian? He said, yes. And he said, we just couldn't help but embrace and love one another and be excited that we we're in the presence of somebody else who loves Jesus as much as we do. And it hit me in that moment that in that culture, in that society, Javon had no business hugging that guy. And anyone who knew them, ah, they would not have liked that. But the love of Christ compels them to cross the line and love somebody that he doesn't know how he votes, how he thinks, where he's at in the caste system. He just knows that that guy loves Jesus, and so he is going to love him too. And that is what we are called to do, church, to love like that, to put on display the love of Christ. So in an effort to rock our world, what if we prayed like Jesus did for the opportunity to seek unity? to lay down our preferences, to invite others in, to show compassion to someone who you, don't disagree, someone who you disagree with. Not, not push them away, but instead pull them in. What if we tried to live out that prayer and not let our differences about politics or the economy or whatever it is, insert it here. What if we didn't let those things divide us, those things of a lesser kingdom divide us from worshiping and unifying around the one true king? What happens when our unity starts to become as important as Jesus prayed it would be? That is when we stop trying to change people's opinions, start trying to change the way, stop trying to change the way people think, and instead we start trying to change who or what they're worshiping. We just try to get them close to Jesus. And that's when God's church it grows like wildfire. Jesus never siloed himself off from people who thought differently than him. No, the division wasn't in his DNA. And he showed us how to live, and he sat at the table with people with radically different beliefs than he had. He hung out with people who had let him down in significant ways. He showed compassion to people who offended him, and in return, he added light into their life. And I, I don't know completely how it works, but it's what Jesus prayed for. And our love for each other is key to showing the world a loving God. In a divisive world, we can be part of the help by extending a helping hand, a loving hand to people who think different than us, who look different than us, who are different than us. Starting first with our church community and then to everyone else. You ready for your homework? What if you made that your prayer this week? That you would be one. That you would find unity. That we'd have the opportunity to show compassion to somebody who we disagree with. That we'd have a real loving relationship with somebody who's wronged us. What if we prayed that even in our differences we wouldn't be divided, that we may be one so that the world may be one? What if we did that? What might that look like? Well, it might, it might look like this. Amen. I love you. Thanks for that conversation. I know we disagree on that issue. But I want you to know that even in our disagreement, I still love you because I know you love Jesus and I know you're journeying towards him and I look forward to our next conversation.
man, brother, if it wasn't for this church and this place and what God is doing in your life and in mine, we would not know each other. And how cool is it that God has brought us together as brothers in Christ? Otherwise, man, we would, our, cross, our paths never would have crossed. Praise God for that. I love you. Brother, I know you're going through some stuff. I know you've made some mistakes. To be honest with you, those mistakes hurt me. But I want you to know that I still love you. And as you journey towards Jesus and you, you look to find help and healing, I am with you on that journey. I love you. Okay. Thanks, man. Y'all, that, that's what unity looks like. Can I tell you something? It's a little bit messy. And some of you are thinking, that's exactly my point. That's why I'm pushing against it. Like those, those people, like they, they just made a mess of your shirt. I think this is what Jesus' shirt looked like. You don't understand, those stains, those stains aren't going to come out. Well, guess what? Those people just added some color to your life. Well, you don't understand. When I walk around, like people are going to see that, and they are going to notice. Well, then guess what? They will know that you are his disciple. Don't miss it. A new commandment he gives us, that we should love one another. And through that, we will prove to the world who he is. And he is a God that is full of compassion and full of grace and full of love for me and for you and for everybody. Our unity is so key to the world experiencing the compassion and the goodness and the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who showed me love and compassion even when I didn't deserve it. What if we made that our prayer? What if you put yourself in that situation? When people see this, I can't fully explain it, but they see the love of God. Jesus' disciples, they finally got it. And the church was born. The Bible says that the, the believers would meet together, all of them, in common purpose, in love for Jesus, admiration to him. When they come together, they'd, they'd break bread. They'd give to each other as someone needed. And that church started on a day when there were people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, all different beliefs. And the church grew like crazy. The Bible says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved because their unity simply pointed to Jesus. As I have loved you, so you should love each other. That will prove to the world that there's a God who loves them feels right in this moment we may receive the communion meal together as a church I'm going to invite you to grab that cup and hold on to it we're going to sing together here in just a moment and as we do that I just invite you to like, listen to those words sing those words, allow those, those words to be your heart to be your song when you feel ready receive the communion elements remember that his body was beaten for us not just for you, for us. His blood was poured out, not just for you, but for us. And Jesus said, whenever you come together, do this in remembrance of me. 
something beautiful there about our unity. When we come together as a church family, we remember what binds us together, and it is the love of Jesus put on display on that cross and shown off through the resurrection. And so I invite you, as we sing and when you're ready, receive this meal and know that Jesus loves you and Jesus loves us and his love compels us to love each other well. That we may be united. And maybe, as you pray and you think, perhaps the Lord's laying somebody on your mind, your heart. Someone who's hurt you. Someone who's offended you. Someone who you disagree with. You know they love Jesus and they're trying. And show them some compassion. Meet them where they are. Maybe you need to send them a text. Maybe you need to walk around in this room and hug somebody. Whatever it is God is calling you to, if you make this your prayer, Father, may we be one. As you and Jesus were one, it's going to change some stuff in you. It's going to be a little bit messy. But God will be made much of. So let me invite you, let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and when you're ready, you receive the communion elements. Think about who you need to reach out to, who you need to text, you need to walk over and hug, or maybe you just need to pray the Lord gives you an opportunity this week to show compassion, to express love and gratitude to someone who you don't agree with, who's offended you. Let's pray. God, we come before you. Jesus, we just, we just know how good you are. Those of us who have experienced your love, God, it surpasses understanding. It meets us right where we are. And God, of all sinners, I'm the worst. We feel that. We know that. We groan in it. And yet you still love us. So God, may we show that same love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that they are chosen. They are your children. They are, they, they are loved by you too. Now God, we won't allow the decision they made or the thing we read on Facebook or the thing they said about us behind our back, or that water cooler talk that didn't go so well. God, we will not allow that to divide us, but we will stay unified around what matters most, and that is experiencing your goodness in a fresh way and knowing that your love loves us even when we don't deserve it. God, help us to show that same love to our brothers and sisters in Christ and extend that well beyond this place and into the world that we live. Jesus, have your way in us. In your name we pray. Amen.